message this morning, conformable. How do you measure up? How do you measure up according to God is the question. So you see, being biblical. Well, according to God and His Word, because that's what really matters, God and His Word. It's the bit of His biblical view of us. You know, we, we, we have different ideas of what God's view of people are. I want to have a good biblical perspective of what God thinks of me. And according to the biblical view, God sees us all as sinners. And that word sin simply means missing the mark. Missing the mark of moral perfection. And according to God, we have all overstepped the line that he has set as a standard for living. That's what the Bible says. We all missed the mark. We all stepped over the line. We've all sinned. Because he has set a standard for living. You see, the biblical view, according to God's word, the Bible says that we are all a guilty. Romans chapter 3 and verse 19 says we are all lawbreakers. And the whole world has become guilty before God. That's the biblical view of mankind. In chapters 1 through 3 of Romans, it's clear that the Gentiles, the Jews, all mankind, the Bible says, are without excuse. You see, the Bible says that we are in trouble on the day of judgment according to God's word, the biblical view. The biblical view is we all stand guilty, we all stand condemned, and we're all doomed. That's the bad news. You see, the bad news is on the day of judgment, we're all going to stand before him. The biblical view is on, all, on our own accomplishments, our own capabilities, our own good works. No matter how good we think we are, we will never measure up to what God expects. That's the biblical view. God's word says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23... It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Meaning, according to God, the biblical view is we are all unrighteous according to God's standard. We don't measure up. Our own behavior condemns us, the Bible says. And that's the bad news again. But God. But God. You see, the bad news is we're in trouble. And God knew that. But I love the word of God. It says, but God. You see, the good news is God himself provided himself a savior. You see, God put on skin like a hand puts on a glove in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life in thought. His thoughts were perfect. His words were perfect. And the deeds he did were perfect. According to God's standard, Jesus lived a perfect sinless life. And in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Man, that's the good news. Christ died for us. You see, we were condemned and declared unrighteous according to God's word, the biblical view. But Jesus paid for our sins, our unrighteous works, and our unrighteous and wicked thoughts and our deeds were put on him 2,000 years ago on the cross. 
According to the, God's Word, the biblical view is if we recognize that we're sinners, repent, put our faith and trust in Him on what Jesus did on the cross, His perfect life is put to our account. This is called substitutional righteousness or imputation of righteousness. We see this in John chapter 8, verse 29. Jesus When Jesus walked this world, the Bible says, even Jesus said, I always do those things that please the Father. So his righteous life is put to my account. That's the biblical view. So by simple faith in Christ and what he did on our behalf, his righteousness is accredited to our account according to God's word. That's the biblical view. According to the biblical view, is salvation is a free gift that God gives sinners of no merit of their own. Of no merit of your own. You can never be good enough. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9, listen to what it says. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. God has given us both grace and mercy. That's the biblical view. You see, grace is getting something we do not deserve. And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. See, we deserve judgment. And God has given us grace. So in light of all that, here in Romans chapter 12, it gives us the biblical view of our behavior as God's saved people. Let's take a look. Paul says, I therefore beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But first we see here that Paul is a shepherd and he's pleading to God's people. He's pleading to the people he ministered to. Why? Because he cared for God's people. But here Paul points to the mercies of God that Jesus died for you and that it wasn't cheap what Jesus did. He died at a great expense. He has given us mercy And that's not getting what we deserve so that we could live in him or live for him because he's died for us. And he rose again. You see, we deserve judgment, but God has given us compassion. He's given us forgiveness and he's given us the promise of eternal life. But Paul's plea here is personal. He says here. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He's speaking to the church. I'm I'm pleading with you. I'm begging you, church, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. And what that means is your life should be an act of worship to God. I should be living in a way that gives God glory. Living sacrifice, a sweet aroma to the Lord. That word holy simply means to be set apart from the world, but to God. We're called to live according to God's, wor- uh, God's word. 
Because this world is slipping into a moral decline. You see, its standards are always changing. But here, he calls God's people to live acceptable to God. Because according to God's word, that's the biblical view, and that's reasonable. You see, God is ask, not asking us to do something that's unreasonable. You know, in light of what he did, he's giving you grace, he's giving you mercy, he's giving you eternal life. We don't deserve it. And he's asking us just to live in such a way that it pleases him. That's worship. To be set apart from the world to him. To please him. We are called, as he says here, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what that is, what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Here Paul is warning the church, do not be conformed to the world. Don't behave like the world. And the reason why he's saying this is because the world is headed for destruction. Wide is the way that leads to destruction. But he says here, be ye transformed by the renewing of our minds or having a biblical view or a biblical life, living a life that's in such a way that is acceptable and is the perfect will of God. And you know what? The perfect will of God is always for your best good. You see... God doesn't want to keep you from something to keep you away from it. It's for your own good. He knows better. He loves you. He wants to protect you. It's for your own good. Verse 3 says here, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly as God has dealt each one a measure of faith. So here Paul mentioned first. Uh, the mercies of God. Now he points to the grace that God has given him. So God has given us mercy. We should be grateful. God has given us grace. But here again, Paul pleads for everyone personally who is among you. Speaking of believers. He's saying, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. That you are better than you are really are. In other words, he's saying, have an honest uh, evaluation of yourselves, but remember God's measurement. We're all sinners and we're saved by grace. And, and, you know, we get saved and what happens often is we get saved and then we start thinking we're better than everyone else. No, you're better off than everyone else on the day of judgment, but we're not any better. That's a misconception. We're saved by grace, that not of ourselves, the gift of God. Self-righteousness has no uh, place in our lives. I can't preach from a, a high moral platform. I can't preach down to people. Why? I'm a sinner saved by grace through faith. And my life should be an act of worship. Is it? Always? No. I'm not perfect. So Paul here is saying, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but think soberly as, as God has given each a measure of faith. So have an honest evaluation of yourselves. And again, we always need to remember we're saved by grace. We're sinners who are saved by grace. 
He says, think soberly, meaning having a well-balanced estimation of ourselves. You see, I need the work of God. I blow it. I blow it and I confess. Sorry, Lord, I blow it. I blow it. I'm not perfect. I need your help. And you know what? God wants to work in our lives. He wants us to have an honest assessment of ourselves and our honest estimation of ourselves. It says, God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. God gives grace to each of us individually. So each one's life should, be, should reflect that measure of God's grace and kindness. Man, God has saved me for, from so much, man. I, I'm wretched. I, I was so wicked in the things I used to do. And I'm so grateful for God changing my life. I can't boast of my own change or my own transformation or the work of God in my life. It's all Him. And you know what? I, I think, you know, salvation is a free gift. It's not what you've done or what you can do and also transformations the same way when we're really honest with ourselves and say lord i need help in this area god is going to help you in those areas but if you think you're okay he's going to say okay have your way you know we sing that song lord have your way in me and there's some things that need to be changed but you don't want to give them to him you're holding on to him he says think soberly so our lives should be reflecting the measure of grace and the kindness God has given us. So now from verses 4 through 8, let's take a look at the role of the church. It says, for as we, speaking of the church, not the building, but you guys. But as for we, have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion of our faith. Or ministry, let us use it for our ministry. He who teaches in teaching and he who exhorts in exhortation... He who gives with liberality, and he who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And again, we, all the things that we do should be biblical. We should be united with God. What, what separates us from God? Sin separates us from God, and sin separates us from each other. And we need to be spirit-filled in all that we do. There's that acronym bus i need to be biblical united with god united with each other and spirit filled to live in such a way that glorifies god i can't do it on my own strength but we the church it says we are many but we are called to be united members of one another here it says we don't have all the same function but we all have a role to play in the church we we are all better off when we are all doing what God has called us to do in his service. Now I got to ask yourself, what's your function in the body of Christ? Because you all have a function in the church. You all have a function in the body of Christ. Because it says here, each member has a role. 
And when we each do our part, we're better off. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, speaking to the church, it says, From whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So there's something that takes place when we're all doing what we're called to do. It's called growth. We grow together. There's something that supernaturally takes place in a church when all the members are working together. It says every joint, every uh, buddy working together by the work of the Spirit causes growth, causes a building up, and it's a work of love. You see, love builds. God is love. And we're to love God. We're called to love God, and we're called to love people. That's what God's word says. I got to love, I'm called to love God and love his people. And I'm giving myself to him. And we all have a function. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Jesus said, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest field. So we're all part of each other. God has called you. If you're not serving the Lord, pray. Lord, I am not functioning. Or where's my function? And God will show you. And you know what? It causes growth. Let God do a work of His Spirit in your life. So the third point here, as God's people, God has called us to support and to build each other up and to proclaim the good news. We proclaim the good news. But here it says we all have different gifts according to God's service. We all have different gifts according to God's grace, which was given to us. Let us use them. So what God has given to you, it's to be used for him. It says let us use them. In other words, I'm supposed to be active. And here it says prophecy. Declaring the purposes of God in Scripture. He says, let us prophesy in the proportion or the comparison that we've already received from God in His Word. That's all it simply means. We need to be careful of many smooth-talking charlatans who come around, who flatter you and offer you special secret messages from God. You see, prophecy is just declaring the purposes of God through Scripture. The word ministry here, it, it simply, it says, the word ministry, it says, let us use it in our ministering. And that word is help. Let us help each other. God has called us in ministry to help each other. My, my role here is to help Pastor Joe and to help all of the leaders in ministry. And we help each other and we grow. We're to be encouraging one another and building each other up that's our role and our responsibility in church to help that's called ministry am i called to ministry we're all called to ministry in some way or another it says here he who teaches in teaching he exhorts in exhortation uh, exhortation is one who encourages by coming alongside to strengthen and offer comfort when needed 
That's the function of the church. We need to come alongside each other and encourage one another and to comfort one another. And a lot of times we go and leave and go and leave and we're not functioning the way we need to. To encourage each other. To build each other up. To comfort one another. You see, also here we, we have the gift of givers. Givers in the church who give liberality. These are big-hearted people who give unto the Lord. It's a blessing um, in the church. It's, but here it also says, he who leads with diligence. If you're a leader, God has called us to lead with diligence. This is a reference to speed. The speed of a leader in the church. Or the intensity of your service. This points to the effectiveness or devotion in how we serve. You see, God has called us to be faithful. Faithful. But to use extreme care in leading God's people. And the reason why is God will hold the leaders accountable on the day of judgment. In Luke chapter 12, verse 48, we also see this in James chapter 3 and verse 1. And Jesus also rebukes laziness, the lazy servant, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 26. So if you're a leader, you need to be diligent. God has called you to be diligent. God has called me to be diligent and not a lazy leader. But the next point he says here, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Mercy. Giving people what they don't deserve. Here they deserve wrath. And we, God has called us to give mercy or be merciful to others. Why? Because God has been merciful to us. He saved us. And, you know, to understand mercy, I want to encourage you when you get a chance, read Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 through 35. Jesus told a story about a king who forgave his servant a great debt. And that's, we need to put ourselves in the place of that servant. Because God has given us forgiveness, and He's forgiven us a great debt. So He expects us to forgive others as well. And so, on your own time, I encourage you to read that. But Paul here moves on in verses 9 through 12. Paul uh, moves to the attitude of the church or to the believer within. Because it starts with the heart. He says here, let, speaking to the church, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. So in other words, he's saying, don't be hypocrites. We can't, don't be hypocrites. Don't be hypocrites with fake love. Fake love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7 describes biblical love. Biblical love is patient. Biblical love is pride. It's not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not rude. It's not demanding its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not rejoice in injustice, but rejoices in the truth. Do we have that kind of love? 
And, and I really, we really need to examine ourselves. Do I measure up in the area of service, love, devotion, hypocrisy? Because I'm put to the test. We're put to the test with how we treat others. Are we patient? You know, God will put somebody in your life and to test your patience. And we really need the work of the Holy Spirit in those areas to transform our lives so that we can be more like Jesus, patient, kind, not boastful, not rude, not demanding, not irritable, because we get on people's nerves sometimes. We're irritable, but we're called to be like the Lord. And, and here he's speaking to the church, let your love be without hypocrisy. Don't be hypocrites. And we need the Lord, if I'm not loving, I need to pray, Lord, if I'm not loving you or people the way I should, Lord, change my heart. And God will change me. So every time we approach Scripture, we should see ourselves in truth. Lord, am I being a hypocrite? Am I, am I loving in a way that's like you? But here the second part, he says, Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. By God's standards, we see what is acceptable, what is evil morally by God's standard, by God's word. But here he's telling us to be genuine in our, our affection and respect for others. Be like Jesus with people. But here in verse 11 through 13, I, I put the little, uh, a little note here for myself. The bees. These are what we should be as Christians. Verse 11, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulations, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. So God has called us to not be to not lag in diligence. In other words, don't be slothful, slothful or dull. When God has called you to a life of devotion, God has called you to a life of devotion. And that word um, fervent in spirit speaks of a boiling pot with zeal for the things of God. Do you have a desire a boiling fervency for the things of God? If not, we need to pray, Lord, stoke me with the fire of your Holy Spirit to love the things that you love and to get busy, to be fervent in spirit. Am I dull or am I fervent in spirit? Is God doing a work in my life? I have to recognize that. Lord, have your way in me. Lord, do a supernatural work in me because I could be dull-hearted. I could just get by. And most people in church just get by. I don't want to just get by anymore. I want God to do a work in my life. So here he's calling us, don't lag in diligence, be fervent in spirit. Speaking of zeal for the things of God. Or to be stoked by God. For the things that you want to do. No, for the service of the Lord. See, God has called you to serve the Lord. He says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, 
and be steadfast in prayer. But here he also says, be sensitive to the needs of the others. Be sensitive to the needs of the other. Giving, taking care of people. Uh, here it says, uh, distributing the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, you know. Um, and that's why we need to be a part of each other. We need to be a part of each other to help each other, to encourage one another, to comfort one another. But there's also sometimes you have needs. You, you have needs, you know. Um, you're older. You can't do things around. You know, we're here for you to help you. Um, you know, you're having, you know, some heavy things in your life we're here for you to pray for you to encourage you uh but also if you need help with your you know you get hurt or you're in the hospital we're we're here for you to help you you need a meal we're here for you to help you that's distributing the needs of the saints but how do we distribute the needs of the saints if we don't know each other so that's why god has called us to uh be uh, there's a oneness in the body of Christ. But verse 14, it says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. You see, whenever somebody gives me a problem, I let God deal with them. Let God deal with them. You know, God has called us not to retaliate. And a lot of times when we're persecuted, you know, right away we get bitter hearted. And I, I went through this trial a while back ago, and and I had somebody was really giving me a hard time, and I thank the Lord that I didn't get bitter hearted towards that person, and I started praying for them, and God ended up bringing them back in my life, and they apologized for the way they treated me, but that was a work of God. God will deal with them. And we, we as Christians need to learn to get God involved in areas of our life. You remember when Paul was persecuting the church? He, he was throwing people into prison and, and he was, you know, taking families, uh, ripping them apart and, and, you know, destroying the church. Jesus knocked him off his high horse and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, God took it personally that you're a you were, he was affecting the church. And the same thing with us. We need to learn to give God, uh, give them over to God. And just like Jesus on the cross. Remember Jesus on the cross, Luke chapter 23, uh, 35. Here Jesus is on the cross. They beat him. He's broken. He's bruised. He's whipped. Crown of thorns shoved on his head. Hit with a reed. Mock spit upon for almost 24 hours. And he's on the cross. They're coming by. They're wagging. They're, they're mocking him. He's hanging there on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. He, he gave them over to the Father. And we need to learn to give them over to the Father. You see, no one gets away with sin. And God will hold everyone accountable on that day. Verse 15 through 16 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Speaking of the church, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not 
Set your minds on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Again, here he's telling us, be sensitive. Don't be detached from others in the church. Know what's going on and offer that which is appropriate. Rejoicing and weeping. You know, I got a call um, yesterday. One of, you know, our, our brother's mom's in the hospital. She's in ICU. So, you know, that, that breaks our heart and that leads us to pray. We want to, I, I get those phone calls. I send that text out or that email out and we're all praying for her. That brother, we could understand what's going on in their lives, but that's the function of the church. We'll rejoice with those who rejoice, but we also weep with those who weep. But we have to be sensitive. God has called us as a church to um, not be detached from one another. But here, the second point, he says, be of the same mind towards one another. In other words, cherish the same views or be harmonious in your relationship with the Lord and with each other. He says, associate with the humble. Associate with the humble. Be humble. Be humble. God is calling us to be humble. Humility is a good thing because pride in the Bible is not a very good thing. James chapter 4, verse 6 Listen to what God says. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's God's view on pride. And God is calling us to be humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride is the conceit or arrogance of the flesh. That's how God views pride. It's the conceit or the arrogance of the flesh. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10 says, By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Proverbs 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a... Sorry, repeating myself... And a haughty spirit before a fall. I guess God wanted me to say that twice. Proverbs 29, verse 23. A man's pride will bring him low. That's what God's view on pride is. And God has called his, the church to be humble. To be humble. To be of a humble spirit. A humble spirit will, the Bible says, retain honor. First John chapter 2, verse 16 says, For all of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. See, the world needs to be careful of its pride, but also the church needs to be careful that we do not think ourselves better than everyone else. Humble yourself. For the lost, we should really have bent knees and wet eyes. Because destruction's coming. Pride comes before a fall. And God has called us to be humble. Here in verse 17, God's word instructs us, the church, it says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men, if possible, as much as depends on you. Live peaceably with all men. 
Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So God has called us, church, to live in such a way as to bring glory to God. And when we do live to bring glory to God, the world will see us as honorable. But most importantly is what God sees. What God sees is the most important thing. So in light of all that we do, we are called to bring glory of God, glory to God. Honor God, it says, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Try to, try to get along with your neighbors. Try to get along with those around you, as much as depends on you. Again, get God involved in your situations, your difficulties. He says here, do not avenge yourselves again, but rather give place to wrath. Why? Because God will avenge he says, I will repay, says the Lord. But God has called us to live differently. I can't do these things on my own. My, my, I want to retaliate. That's, that's our flesh. We want to live the way we want to live. But God is saying to live differently. So if I'm to live according to the biblical standard, to measure up, I can't do it on my own strength. I need the work of His Spirit in my life. He says, don't avenge yourselves because it's natural to avenge ourselves. It's not natural to feed your enemy. It's not natural to, to give him something to drink. It's not natural to do these things. It's supernatural. See, God has called us to be biblical. So I'm supposed to live this way. I'm supposed to be united with God. But I'm also supposed to be spiritual. And the only way I could do these things is a supernatural work of His Spirit in my life. I need more of Him in my life. He says here, do not overcome, do not be overcome with evil or by evil because evil, if you give place to evil in your life, it will swallow you up. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil by good. You see, we're, we're called to share the gospel. You know, we can't change the world through legislation. But sharing the truth, living the truth, living such a way that brings glory to God, bringing people to Jesus, being a loving, living witness for God, praying for people, Loving God and loving people. Conformable. How do we measure up? I say I, I need a work of God's Spirit. Because I struggle in here sometimes. So whenever I read the Bible, reading it during the day, I'll see some good qualities and I'll say, Lord, I want that. So these good qualities, we should pray, Lord, I want that. I need that in my life. Are those qualities that... You know, those blemishes, those areas and things in our life that I'm struggling with, we need to pray, Lord, I do that. 
Lord, can you change me here in this area? And God will do a supernatural work in you. You'll be a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. Let him do a work of, of his spirit in you. Father, we love you. Thank you for the church. Father, we ask that you would just continue to do a work of your spirit, Lord, that we would live in such a way that we measure up to the world, the word, your word, your standard. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would change our hearts and our lives, Lord, that we would have a good biblical view of who you are and we would have a, a good biblical view of ourselves, that we would be united to you. Father, your word says in Isaiah uh, 64, 6, Lord, that our, our righteousness is as filthy rags. And your word says that sin separates us from you, Lord. Father, we ask that you forgive us of our sins. That you cleanse us and wash us, Lord. That we would be wholly united to you. And Father, that we would be united to each other, Lord. I pray, Lord, that there would be no division among us, Lord. That you would just continue to do a supernatural work in our hearts. And Father, thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for your word. And Father, as we get into communion, Father, we thank you for that work that you promised us. You said that we would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the world when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. May we be a spirit-filled church. May we be ready till you come. In Jesus' name, amen.